0: If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Job, Job chapter 38, but we're not going to take off right there first. I want to, first of all, mention a, a little bit of a uh, of a awareness that we all have, and that is that uh, we might be asking ourselves the question, what in the world is God doing? What in the world is God doing with everything that's happening, all the atrocities, all the crime, all the absurdities, all the political problems? Does God still even want to be involved in this world, and is he involved in this world? I want you to imagine what it must have been like to be Job. To have been a man who, in the first two chapters of the book, you find out he's a man of integrity. Everything you hear and everything that's recorded in the scripture about his life in public and in private was of integrity. He was a man that he believed everything he was doing was right, and he was intentionally doing it on purpose to honor God. Even when his children would be somewhere else and he couldn't see them, he didn't assume they're just going to behave. He said, God, if my children sin, please, please have mercy. But then imagine what it must have been like on that day when one after one messengers came and said, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, happened." and all of his earthly possessions were wiped away. And then that final blow, that final blow when someone says your 10 children are gone. I can't imagine that. But I also think of a man by the name of William Carey, known as the father of modern missions, whose life was around the time of the birth of the United States of America. He lived in England and he was a young man who loved God and was called into the ministry. His family were cobblers. He was a shoe repairman. And when his dad passed away, he carried on the business. But he was so poor there that he couldn't take care of even the health of his firstborn child who died because of disease. that he couldn't get medicine for. William Carey became a preacher, a pastor, a man who sought God's will. But he was also a man of study. He learned languages. He learned Greek and Hebrew. He learned foreign languages and studied cultures, especially the religions of foreign lands. He wanted to understand about the idolatry that he heard about from those who came from the Far East Indian Trading Company or those who had gone to other parts of the world. And he began to be burdened about that. He began to think about there needs to be something for that. He got so excited about the one time he got up and he 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 wanted to persuade others to be in concern for the lost. And and uh, he said this multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. He was abruptly interrupted by an older minister who said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. That was the attitude of the preachers of that day, of his circle. They said, that's their problem. We've got our problems here. And that can be our attitude today, too, Get it? It can be my attitude in Romania. Don't think it's different over there. It's easy to become preoccupied with all the troubles. You see, think you, you're paying a lot for gas? $10 a gallon every day. But it's not my problem. It is God's problem. What in the world is God doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's coincidentally God. It coincides with everything we think is going on. God is doing something. Parallel, if you want, behind the scenes, if you want. But God is really in control. And whether we like it or not, God is going to do his will. William Carey surrendered to be that missionary, though others were not willing to go. And he formed a society that uh, decided they were going to send missionaries. And he and another man became the first missionaries to go. In 1792, he and other Baptists of Mid-England organized a missionary society. And it's, at its inaugural meeting, preached a sermon with the call, Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Within a year, the society then came together for a farewell service for Carey and his family which now included three boys and another child on the way, and John Thomas, a former surgeon. Sometime during that all-day meeting, Kerry met with the four leaders of the society, and those men promised Carry that as he went forth in the society's name and the name of their master, they should never cease till death to stand by him. Andrew Fuller, one of those men, later described the occasion with an analogy. He said, that the mission to India seemed like a few men who considered going into a deep, unexplored mine. It was as if Kerry said, well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. The meeting in Fuller's mind was as if he and the other brethren gave their word that whilst we live, we should never let go of the rope. That's the relationship between the missionary and the local church wherever it might be. Those who decide to partner with a missionary who help him to to see his vision, you cannot see it as he sees it, but you're welcome to come. You're welcome to see. You're welcome to study as much as you want. But even I don't understand all that God's doing. When I get there, I say, Lord, I, I just don't want to mess up. Just help me to keep my head down so I don't uh, stick it up too soon. But when I'm called to stand up, help me to stand, Lord. Um I don't know what you were doing on July 4th. I knew what I was doing. I was sitting at my table with another missionary family, American family. And we were celebrating the 4th of July. Yeah, we do that in the, over in Romania too. As we were finishing up the meal, my wife came up, and I could tell on her face she was troubled because she had the phone to her ear, and she was asking some questions, and, and I could tell something had happened. She said, uh, there's been an accident. You see, that week, that very day, about 60 Ukrainians were going to congregate at a camp and they were going to have a, a first gathering of Christian Ukrainians in this camp and just try to spend some time together, regrouping and praying and spending some time with the Lord. And on the way, one man and with a family of seven uh, rolled the van and uh, there were nine passengers. One of them was another a single missionary lady from our mission and uh, And an, another Ukrainian girl they out of that no one was killed, though the motor was ripped out of the, from the chassis, so severe was that when they struck something it just ripped the motor out from a, a Volkswagen van when i got the uh, got on the phone and then talked throughout the night, they were transporting a little infant child and a girl of nine years old, a teenage girl of seventeen, this missionary young lady is 40, and and uh, the mother of the two little girls that were being transported to different hospitals in two different cities. And I didn't know what God was doing. And I'm thinking, why would that happen on such a time as this? People who suffered so much are people who are running, who ran for their lives, but now we're just trying to figure out what God wants them to do. For the last month, I've seen God do miraculous things. A little girl come back and be Good health. The baby just was just operated last week for a, a, a hemorrhage in her head, but when doing that, they discovered a birth defect that had they not discovered it, she would have had even more severe problems later on. So you say, well, that's just coincidence. No, that's God. You say, why would God do something like that, put people through such misery, such turmoil, just to reveal something like that? Because He's God. Imagine, again, being Job. Imagine being in that situation where you don't have any other expectation from God but to to appreciate the fact that you're living for him, that you love him, that you're doing everything possible to honor him. And then all this tragedy happens in your life. His own wife says, curse God and die. But Job said, no, I will not be a fool. He did not curse God, but he questioned God. He questioned God mostly because of some good friends. How many of you got some good friends like that? Soon as something's wrong, soon as one of your kids are sick, soon as something happens in your job, well, what you you got wrong in your life, brother? They're just looking for all the excuses why you're suffering because it has to be something that you did that deserve it. And Job was asking those kind of questions. And throughout the book of Job, as his friends were asking him, he finally gets to the point and says, you guys should help me a bit. You just poured salt in the wound and now I feel now is totally empty. I don't know what God's doing. I'm just empty. In Job chapter 38, though, we come to a place where God now answers Job, where God has watched and God has known all these things all along. And by the way, that was a satanic onslaught upon Job. He didn't plan for it. He didn't pray for it. He didn't ask for it. Satan was out to destroy him and Satan's out to destroy your pastor. Or Satan's out to destroy the other missionaries, you know. Satan's out to destroy you and he will do everything he can and he has no problem playing dirty. Very dirty. He will use your kids if you can. He will use your wife or your husband if you can. He will do everything in his power to get you to curse God and die. But my friend, I want to you to see tonight three reactions that tell us that why God was doing something in Job's life. I want you to see first of all in Job chapter uh, number 38. I told you to turn there and I need to get over there myself. In Job chapter 38 it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. He speaks out of the whirlwind to Elijah and others. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by the words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. As God begins to speak to Job, he said, Job, I have a question for you. Who do you think you are? Do you even know what you're talking about? I know these guys don't know what they're talking about. But do you know what you're talking about? Be a man, Job. I have something to tell you, and you better take it like a man. I'm going to tell you right in front of your face. And I need you to listen. Because the first thing that God was doing was he was getting Job's attention. Too many of us are distracted by whatever it is. Technology, jobs, money, lack of, sickness, illness, cancer. We have so many things upon our lives that that's our world. Our world has become this. That defines us. And Job was being defined by tragedy, loss. And even health problems. And God said. Listen up Job. Stand up like a man. Yeah you're suffering. But I have a purpose. I want to have your attention. And I counted them in this chapter. and the next. There are 55 questions. That God asks Job. 55 questions. He asked Job. About creation. Where were you when I did this? About. Some of the creatures he made, who gave the wings, the beautiful wings to the peacock. He's asking detailed things that Job could very well observe. And I'm sure Job, in his good days, before all the tragedy, saw them. I'm sure he saw the sunrises, the sunsets, the the birth of, of cattle, the things that made life important and special, the growing of flowers and plants in the spring. He saw it all. And he says, Job, where were you when I did all that? Where were you when I planned all that? Did you have anything to do with it? And we know that God was trying to get Job's attention because look at chapter 40 and how when it says in verse number one, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall he that contendeth with, with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. And so Job gives him an answer. And here's Job's first response. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am vile. What? Shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. When God says, go ahead, Job, tell me your answer. Job says. You got my full attention, Lord. I have nothing more to say. I have nothing I need to put out in front of you. I believe you are doing something to get my attention. What's God doing in your life to get your attention? What have you gone through since 2020? Let's say, has the world changed since 2020? We came on a short furlough for my daughter's wedding. Uh, uh, was that then? Yeah, it was then. No, that was last week. I can't remember things anymore. They all run together. But we were on a, a trip. No, it was for my dad who had cancer at that time. And we had gone back there and in 2019 and we came back after the first uh, of the year in 2020 as soon as we got back the lord gave us a a 14 year old boy a foster son to come live for us and two weeks after that the world shut down and we were locked in our houses with him <laughs> he he was a uh, he was looking at us we were looking at him and we didn't know what we were going to do but the world has changed thinking has changed people don't want to work anymore People don't want to be around people anymore. We have young people in our church that move to another city just so they can work as telemarketers for U.S. company who can do it through Romania and they basically stay home in their pajamas and answer the phone and, and give, uh, give direction to people who are calling for advice. And I'm thinking, that's not where I was raised. (laughs) That's not how I I can't do that, but they love it. That's what they want. The world has changed. And things are so different in our world that we don't know what to do. We have COVID. We have elections go different ways that we, we want. We, uh, we see crime rising. We see invasions of nations and natural disasters and ominous threats of foreign power. In there. But God is still in control. Coincidentally, God's there. Coinciding with what is happening on this world, God is still there don't miss that and job was his job's attention was piqued by what god gave him to see and he said once have i spoken but i shall not answer ye twice but i will proceed no further then god asked some more questions he asked 25 more questions this time it's not so much about creation though it's referring to dinosaurs and leviathan and behemoth and others that I believe we're real dinosaurs. I believe, I believe Job saw dinosaurs. I believe they exist and they existed. But God didn't use them to awe him, but he used him to them to ask this question. Job, do you believe I'm all powerful? Do you believe I'm as powerful as behemoth, behemoth, or leviathan? As he describes them, I think, wow, these are amazing creatures. Must have been fascinating. Science is trying to explain to our kids what they are. The Bible tells us right here. They did exist, and I have no doubt about that. But they did not exist millions and millions and millions of years ago. The flood took care of that. They were no, not able to survive. But listen to this. Why would God use that? What's God trying to do in Job's life by showing him these creatures that he had made and asking him questions about uh, his comparison to these creatures. And how could Job even compare himself to these creatures? What was God doing? I believe God was gaining Job's surrender. He was gaining Job's surrender. First of all, was getting Job's attention. But that's not enough. God may get your attention. But does he does he have your heart god might get your attention you might for a while say god i'll do what you asked me to do if but he doesn't want your ifs he wants your surrender he wants you to say god not my will but thine be done as a teenage boy i went on a mission trip to mexico and i was already planning out my ministry in the future I was going to go to Bible college. I was going to be a youth pastor, music director. I liked to sing. I was just going to have fun in the ministry. I knew that was good God was calling me to do. But I was in the heart of Mexico in the uh, near Michoacan and in the mountains near Tiramendo, a little village. I went for a walk. We were showing the film, I think it was *Flame Flaming the Glory in Spanish. That's a real interesting film to show in a in a, in a Catholic uh, community. But uh, it, it, the, the little chapel, which is the only place in the village that had electricity, the little Catholic chapel was packed with all the villagers who came to see that film. So we couldn't be in there. We just went for a walk, a friend of mine and I. We walked about halfway to the next village. There was just one light there and one light there. That's all you could see. There on that path, we just decided we'd stop and we'd pray and say, God, do something in this meeting and i know god put in my heart a call that i could not ignore he said in my heart he didn't say in an audible voice don't get scared but he said tim who are you to tell me what i'm going to do with you you need to be willing to go wherever i want you to go and from that day on i just said god wherever. I began to investigate, I began to study, I began to pursue as I met my wife in Bible college and we began to pray about it. We thought it was going to be uh, maybe uh, uh, Mexico or Honduras, somewhere in, this, in the Central America. Then we were moved a little bit toward the Philippines and then we heard some missionaries from Spain. It was all uh, Latin-based languages, but it just kept jumping all over the globe. And then we went on a trip in 1995 to Romania and I discovered in the middle of the Slavic uh, C is an island of language, language <laughs> called Romanian. And the people speak a language very Latin, Italian, French, Spanish. And we fell in love with that. Six years later, we were on the field as missionaries with our five kids. God was directing and guiding, but he had to start with a surrender. He had to start with bringing me to a point and bringing each of us to a point. And he brought Job to this point. How do I know that? Look, if you would, in chapter number 42. Chapter 42 and first number one, Job answers God the second time. He says, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. That's a good place to start. First good place for us to start is to say, God, I'm kidding myself if I can hide anything from you. You can hide it from your family. You can hide it from your pastor. You can hide it from your boss. But you can't hide it from God. Job knew that. Verse number three. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. In other words, I was saying things I didn't even understand God. Therefore I have uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare Thou, and to me, it sounds like he's getting his dander up. He's getting a little bold there with God, right? You say, no, God, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear it at the top of my voice. I'm not ashamed to say this right now, right here. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the year, but now mine eye seeth thee. See, Job had heard God. He'd seen his creation. But now he's seen God. He's seen the compassion of God that though he went through all these trials, God was doing something. He knew that in all his fear and all his, his judgment of, of, of even of his friends, God was still doing something. And so he says, "Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent." In dust and ashes. I've been in those places where I say, God, why is this happening? Why is this going on? And I want to scratch for answers and figure out I did something there, didn't I? Or, or this person uh, lied. Or this. There's all kinds of manipulations we try to do, but I just had to say, God, I don't know. I abhor myself. I don't have any idea, God, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job had a chance to answer God, and his answer was the right one. I surrender. We sing it, I surrender all, but we lie through our teeth. What was God doing? He was getting Job's attention. He was gaining Job's surrender. And here's the good part. Job didn't know all this when all this was happening. His friends are against him. His wife's against him. Everything is against him. And even God is against him, he feels. And all he can say is, I'm done. I'm at the end of me. And that's the best place to be. Because when you're dead to self, then Christ is able to live through you. When you're not trying to prove your name and your importance, then you don't have any problem if somebody else gets the praise. When you are saying, God, whatever you want to do with me is fine. If you want me to sit here in this two by two, uh, uh, shed and just check tickets for the rest of my life, I'm going to check tickets and tell people about Jesus. If that's what God wants you to do, just do it and praise Him for the opportunity, but let Him use you because that's not all he wants to do with you i guarantee it and i know it to be so because god's word says this in verse number 10 and the lord turned the captivity of job when he prayed for his friends god told job he was going to pray for his friends told his friends that job was going to pray for his friends all right also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And he explains some of the details of that in the next few verses. But I don't miss that. Job was the bad guy. His friends thought they were there to straighten him out. His friends came along and said, Job, look, you've got to have sin in your life. This doesn't happen to good people. And Job said, no, as far as I know, my conscience is clear. I have done nothing to deserve this. And God finally makes him aware that still there was a need for him through all this to just say, and that really doesn't matter. I trust you, God, and I surrender. So God now gives not only he not only got his attention, not only gained his surrender. But he now gives him a growing ministry. (laughs) Those friends that turned against him, he wasn't to cut them off and say, get out of my life. I don't want to ever see you again. I'm changing churches. I'm changing towns. I'm going somewhere else. No. He said, now, Joe, you need to go pray for them. You need to get close to them and talk to them. Let them know you love them and pray for them. And when he prayed for them, God turned his captivity. He was a captive to some fears and some questions that were holding him bound, But when he was able to forgive and release and pray for his friends, God turned it around. But his ministry increased even more. God gave him twice as much as he had before. You think he was rich before? Now he's doubly rich. He had twice as many cattle, twice as many uh, donkeys. He had twice as many uh, crops. And all the property he had was doubled. And his ministry with his family increased. Now, I've heard it preached that God was also dealing with his wife. She got to have 10 more kids. (laughs) But he gave him 10 more children. And that's a stewardship. That's another opportunity, though he already buried his first three ten children. He now gets to raise 10 more. And they're described that. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Kerenhapuk. And in all the land there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. And after this Job 140 years and saw his sons, here's the extended ministry even more, and his sons' sons, And his sons, 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 and his sons, 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 sons for generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. God is doing something. We must guard our hearts and minds from jumping into every circle and every conflict and every Hostility that exists and saying we have to do something. What we need to do is say, God, help me keep my eyes on you. Because it's too easy to be drawn into something else. And the gospel of Jesus Christ must be preached to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they're trying to say it's already happening. No, it's, it's, it's happening, but it's not done yet. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. But it's not here yet. So we must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must open our mouths. We must give the track. We must make a friendship. We must seek a way to somehow get into somebody's life so they can see our God is real. And I can find nothing more compelling to me than while everyone else is trying to figure out the powers that exist, the 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 um, gurus speaking of all the different mystic things. I can't help but saying, what an awesome God I serve. He can do things and I don't even know what he's doing. But when he's done, I couldn't have done better. I wouldn't even try. And God is doing something. Coincidentally. But God is. Turn to Romans chapter number eight. In Romans chapter eight. We like to quote Romans 28. All things work together for good. But you ever notice those verses that are before? Verse number 24 says, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? We're not very patient. We want God to hurry up. We want him to fix the problems. We want him to change the leadership. We want him to correct the weather. We want him to move us somewhere warmer or colder or whatever it might be. We need some patience. Because our Savior is in control and he's doing something. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Like Job. Like his friends. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to my will? No, the will of God. I'm not. I don't. I, I don't want. I'm not going to compare myself to anyone else. I am i don't think I'm a normal missionary. I, I don't have my plans for five years. But I saw God do in this 19 years we've been there. He gave us over probably valued about $600,000 of property paid for. On a main boulevard of our city, and bringing people to us that nobody else wants. But I believe it's because God's doing something. And the people that ask, "What? Well, how did you do that?" I didn't. Actually, I have no idea. I had some sleepless nights when I tried to do it myself. We tried to figure it out. Yeah. I finally said, "I can't do this. It's you, Lord. You got. You've got to do this." And He did. My friend, if you want to do something for missions, let God rule your life today. He'll show you what to do. It may be to go. It may be to give more. It may be to be a missionary right here. And it, guaranteed it's part of his plan. What in the world is God doing? He's doing a wonderful work. And you can trust it. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you and I give you praise and glory for letting me share this message. A message that began to form in my heart over the last month. I wasn't sure how to present it or if it was appropriate for this setting. But I see that all the confusion of this world, all the loud noises, All the opinions and the corrections that are being made and the changes that are being made is man's effort to somehow make sense of something that's beyond their power to control. But you are in control. You have never lost control. And you are seeking the lost. You are changing this world so that they have one more chance to hear the gospel and you're allowing us to pray for them. You're allowing us to seek them. You're allowing us to invest our time, our money, our prayers so that they can hear the gospel. Father, thank you for this church that has a burden for missions. I pray, Lord, that they would lift up their eyes and look on the fields. They are white already unto harvest and their job as mine is to pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into that harvest. But they also need to trust that you are doing something even when all else seems to fail. Father, be glorified, I pray, and work in hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.